Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Now let's get to today's episode of I Was There Too with my guest, Mark Marin from Almost Famous, live at the Now Hear This Podcast Festival in Anaheim, California. I don't know what to say other than Mark is a dream guest. He just knows an audience, he knows a room, he knows a host, and I barely had to do anything. By far my favorite type of episode. So thank you to Mark. He was wonderful. This is a very entertaining episode, and I wish he was in more movies so I could have him back again. Enjoy. Hey, Paul, smell, smell. In the evening it's not worth believing what you This is the show where I talk to people who were there right in the middle of the great scenes of cinema history. I'm very excited about today. Today we're going to talk about the 2000 film, mostly autobiographical from Cameron Crowe, called Almost Famous. Yes. Let me relax on my podcasting daybed here. Oh my God. I've never done podcasting on a fainting couch before. This is... So, my guest today is an actor, an author, a cat lover, <laughs> vanguard podcaster, and uh, his name is Mark Marin. I'm excited to have him. We're going to bring him out in a second. But yes, let's hear it for him. <clears throat> in today's film, he plays a role known as the angry promoter. And we're going to see a clip from the extended version of this film. Uh, I, I tabulated this. He has a mere 38 seconds of screen time. But in that time, he manages to pretty much take over the scene completely, even going so far as to establish uh, a catchphrase for his character that later will become the intro to his terrifically popular podcast, WTF. This scene, is he brings a, like a combination of energy and character and hardcore 70s wardrobe. And something that I noticed as someone who has to watch these scenes 10 to 20 to 30 times in a row is these pants. It's probably going to be the first question I have for him. <laughs> Pay close attention to these pants when we watch this scene because he's got these, like, uh, they're like kind of yellow beige pants with what could only be described as 
little leather cowboy holster pockets <laughs> that then have little pockets on them, and it's like a wonderful hall of mirrors of pockets. Let's go! Let's Wait, go! Hey, hey, you the manager of this band? Yes, that mall. Come on, man. Yeah, well, you didn't Come finish in. your full Fuck. set, man. Listen, pal, your shoddy stage setup almost killed my guitarist. Yeah, well, you trashed my fucking dressing room, and you didn't do your 25 you minutes. Fuck with my band safety ever. Well, fuck you, man. I'm going to report you to every promoter in this country. I'm going to talk to Frank Barcelona you tonight. No, Frank Barcelona. You're you a are. bunch of amateurs, oh. man. You wanna, Come on. You wanna, Come on. What do you got? What do you got? I have some notes <laughs> for that actor. <laughs> Please make yourself as comfortable as you like on this. Oh, wait, is this a Casper mattress? Yeah, oh, it sure is. Wow, this it's is probably the best mat mattress I've ever laid on. Honestly, let's relax. <sighs> How are you, Mark? Pretty good. <laughs> How I'm you doing, worried man? we're both going to go into therapy sessions lying back like this. No, this is like this is like uh, like when you're at a sleepover or a, at a camp. This is where the big conversations happen. Yeah. Where you're just kind of looking at the ceiling and you're like, you know that girl? Yeah, Melinda Dutkiss. Yeah, she's so hot. She didn't even notice our matching shirts today. I don't know. I think she kind of did. And she didn't say anything. I know. Well, she's looking at me more than you. I think. That's true. I'm invisible. No, it's okay, literally. I'm no. a scientist. No, it's true. You kind of are. <laughs> Teach me. <laughs> and scene. Yes. They got a little improv podcast. Everything's working out. Oh, my God. Mark, so what do you want to talk about? I want to start with those pants. I uh, wish I could say they were mine. That <laughs> I brought any... those. I showed up with these. I'm not, I got to wear these. <laughs> No, the weird thing about those pants, like, you know, it's a long time ago already that I did that. And um, I remember the outfit was cool and the pants were a bit much and I'd never seen pants like that. But I'd never really done a movie or anything before. And I remember at like lunch or dinner or something, I spilled shit all over those pants. <laughs> and then I was like, what's going to happen? Before you shot the Before scene? I <laughs> shot it or in between shots, I dumped like ketchup or something bad on the pants. And I'm like, I fucked up my big break. And, uh, and then, like, it was like, no problem. Wardrobe woman came out, and she's, like, patting it down and had a whole system, removed it. And I'm like, this is amazing show business. I won't, because th that leads to something else. You get into a full-on fight in this scene. Yeah. Did you do more than one take? Because how did they keep those things clean? This podcast is just going to be about the pants. <laughs> well, it, it became a thing with the woman with the secret uh, formula spray bottle coming out and dabbing my pants occasionally from dirt and everything else. They just kept on it. I imagine if you were really to, to get, you know, get nerdy and obsessive about the pants and started zooming in on them and shit, <laughs> you could probably find, like, oh, see, yeah. yeah. The, in between those two cuts, he obviously got dirt on there that they didn't take off. Yeah. But then that'd be your problem. <laughs> Blade Runner, enhance. Enhance screen. Um, well, let's talk about this angry promoter guy. True. That it was a stretch for me. Um, <laughs> 
was real proud of that acting work. What do you, what do you want to talk about? The fucked up thing about that uh, part of that scene was that the fight was not choreographed. So, and there were a lot of variations on it. And, you know, Cameron Crowe did not give us direction. There was no stunt coordinator. It was just sort of like, go for it. And, and Noah Taylor is like, you know, he's just, you know, all amped up and he's really going for it. So I just did that thing that people who don't fight do. And it's like, <laughs> you know, I just, you know, grab hold. But there were scenes where a, a guitar was broken. There was like a lot of different variations of this fight scene that just, it was fortunate neither one of us got hurt. It did look pretty genuinely um, impotent, the it whole did, fight. Though, in a wonderful way, it reminded me of the only fight that I've ever been in in my life, and that is one where the two people clearly don't want to fight, but they don't want to be seen as backing down. And right. it's like, assured mutual destruction if we just kind of rub up on each sure, other. Sure, sure. One of those things where there's so many people know the fight's going to happen yeah. that you almost have to have a secret agreement before yeah. you go in. It's like, yeah. we're not really going to hurt each other, right? <laughs> yeah, let's just do it because there's a lot of people out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was Eric. Yeah, it was exactly that, only it was a film crew. <laughs> Mine was Eric Bilsma in sixth grade and we got sent to the principal's office and we sat there about to go in and he goes, Let's shake hands and tell them we're okay. Yeah. And we did, and then they just, we didn't even have to have a meeting, and we got to go. It was like, it was proof that diplomacy works. There's, I didn't get in any, any real fights, but there was this weird moment where, uh, you know, I was older, I was probably in high school, and I was with a buddy, and we were driving down the street, and there were some elementary school kids, and it looked like there was a problem. And we pulled over to, you know, to help out somehow. I don't know why. The guy I was with was kind of a dick. Um, so I didn't know what he was going to do. Uh, but we were the older kids. And there was this lanky little asshole kid who was about to beat up a chubby kid. And, uh, you know, I, I was a chubby kid. So I immediately picked my side. <laughs> and, and we said, what's going on? And the lanky kid was like, oh, I'm going to kick his fucking ass, you know. And, and we were like, well, maybe you shouldn't. And then the, the chubby kid steps in and goes, hey, you know what? You know, Dave's going to kick my ass tomorrow. So why don't you just do it then with Dave? What? <laughs> and I was like, you know, this kid's thinking on his feet. And it was a, uh, you know. Scheduled bully? <laughs> put it off. Just put it off. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, let's, I can schedule it. It's going to be easier. I'm already going to be hurting. And... But whatever, he put it off, and I found that to be very endearing, and I was happy about the whole situation. I don't think, I don't know, we didn't follow up. So I don't know what happened with that kid. I would love kid. to find that guy and yeah. see if he's still, like, Let's... deferring the bullying down the road, and it's still happening next Yeah, week. yeah, we talk once a week. Um, still hasn't happened, but we're going to make it happen. But we got families now, so it's a little harder. We're thinking of passing it on to our sons, but yeah. we don't know. <laughs> Uh, all right, so this angry promoter, what, did you do a lot of background work on this guy? Are you that kind of actor? Did he have a name for you? You being serious? The, um, <laughs> well, this, what happened was, uh, what year was that? 2000? 2000. So things weren't going great for me, really. I, um, I just done a one-man show. I was about to, uh, to go through a divorce, I guess. So I was 98 or so. Is so your things, first divorce? Yeah. So things were, like, okay, but nothing was really happening for me. And I got, you know, comics. It was in New York. We get called in on auditions sometimes. It was rare. I was not a known thing. But eventually, sometimes, you know, casting directors would think, like, well, this little role would be good for a comic. So I got sent in on that. And I didn't really anticipate much. But when I got there, um, I'm trying to think of it. I think I read, and then they called me back, and then it was, you know, and then I go into the room, and it's a casting, 
uh, director. I can't remember her name, but she still does it. And Cameron Crowe was there and a camera. So now he wants me to do it, and he wants me to riff. So I'm running around this little room where he's with, a, he's sta- sitting there. She's on the camera, and I'm like, "Hey, fuck you!" And I'm like screaming and yelling, and and I got the role right, and I was excited about it. And they flew me out, like it, it was just what it was. It was a, a yelling guy, you know. He was like, "Yell at the bus!" So I yelled at the bus. <laughs> and then, but then they flew me out because I wasn't living in L.A. yet, or I, I don't think I, no, I definitely wasn't. So they put me and my wife up, and we go to this set. It was at the L.A. Coliseum, and oh, they were, yeah. yeah. And it was like, the, the, you know, they did the, I had all the extras there dressed in period. They got me dressed up. And it, was, it, was, it all seemed, like, you know, pretty cool, and I thought everything was going to turn around. And, and uh, am I telling the whole story? We're going to end the podcast right after this? Are they, so we, we haven't got to Cats yet. That's oh, okay. going to be the brunt of this. Yeah. But I remember, like... Um, like, I would do a, run, a thing, and Cameron Crowe, who was a very decent guy, was walking around going, we had to import this anger from New York, you know? <laughs> it does have a yeah, East yeah. Coast, deliberately but, New York feel. But the cool thing was, that he had guys on, you know, on, in the, one, some of the producers were actually dudes that used to run those concerts uh-huh. back in the 70s. So I remember one of those guys came up to me and goes, you're, you're just like that dude. You're, you're like a perfect asshole. You know, like that kind of stuff. How do so, you take that at the time? Is that a compliment? Of or? course. Uh, you know, I, that, was, uh, that, was, um, that should have been the name of my second CD. Perfect <laughs> asshole. There's still time. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it could always, always come back. Um, no, I can be an asshole pretty easily. Uh, yeah, like this morning, probably, at some point. And then, but usually I apologize quicker uh, than I used to. That, that wasn't appropriate for the role. There was no apologizing. I had to follow through with the anger. But so that was flattering. But the whole set was kind of interesting to me because I'd never been really on a, on a movie set. And, you know, I had this little part and I knew it was a little part, but everybody was really deep in the character. They were already a few weeks in. So Crudup was that guy. And the other guys were those guys. And they were all walking around as if they were those guys. Really? And uh, what's her name? Uh, what's her name? Uh, the, uh, the lead? Kate Hudson? Kate Hudson. <laughs> you're, you're missing a gesture. That no, I, that wasn't that. But she... Because uh, you wouldn't know her from that. No. You, I mean, they're all right. But... Um, <laughs> Let's bring her out. Yeah. <laughs> she was wandering around with her. She had a little dog. She was a little uh, accessorized with oh, a little yeah. dog. I remember uh, that. So what? Wait, was that what this was? Yeah, kind of. Oh, okay, I was thinking yeah. about the dog. That, okay. <laughs> that like stood out to me. <laughs> then there was a guy in, in charge of guitars. And I, of course, picked up a guitar because I'm a guitar player. And that's what we do when there's a guitar around. You're like, oh, and, you know, I'm noodling around on it, and uh, Cameron Crowe comes up and goes, oh, you're a blues guy. And I'm like, yeah, is there more part for me? So, um, <laughs> but he was really nice, you know, and uh, it was like Jason Lee was a little, you know, like I have that energy. I was, like I said, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of research. I just had to insert myself. If, yeah. And I still do that if I am an actor, I, which I'm, I don't really call myself an actor, but I, I can do a role if it's in my you know, my wheelhouse. Right. Like, here's my range. It's like, ah, la, 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 like, <laughs> you know, like, so. <laughs> get it in there, we're good. No accents. <laughs> you know, no nerd parts, really. Uh-huh. You know, like, just a different variation of, of neurotic to angry. Right. I can manage that. 
so that was really how I, I thought of it. Like, I just got to be this guy. No one's going to be like, you weren't really that guy because there right. was no guy. So, uh, so that's how I approached it. And it, but Jason Lee was a little standoffish, and I, you know, I hang that on, on Scientology for some reason. Like, because, like, but in a sympathetic way, like looking back at it, you know, I'm exactly the type of person that they tell Scientologists to stay away from. If there yeah. is like that negative energy or whatever they call it, uh, yeah. whatever their phrase for bad negative energy is, right. I was a human manifestation of that. <laughs> So I understood it in retrospect. You know, I'd like to see him again to ask if that was valid, but he'd probably avoid me again. <laughs> but um, but I, I don't remember meeting the, the roadie guy was pretty cool. The guy Were you nervous roadie. doing this? Huh? Were you nervous to do this? It's your first major film role, right? I was, yeah, I'm, you know, I, was, I must have been nervous. I don't remember being nervous because I'm all dressed up. There's a lot going on. I know exactly what I have to do. Uh, I want it like it was... The, the, the n most nervous thing about it was, and it happened again because I just did uh, an episode of Roadies, which uh -huh. was the, like that. That was mine and Cameron's reuniting. You know, oh, 30 wow. years, he gives me another bit part on a Showtime <laughs> series. But he's, you know, I don't know. I, I pester him sometimes to do the podcast, and like twice a year he emails me saying, like, pretty soon. Oh. Like he's. Wait, is he that bully from your childhood? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's. Uh, I think he's doing what the crud up character did to the main character oh, yeah. in Almost Famous oh. to me. Oh, right. He's, revis he's revisiting it. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. You're little him. Yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe he's just waiting for something to click so he's got something positive to talk about. Um, that was not meant as a swag. You know, show business is difficult. I think it would be more fun for Cameron if we were going to do a retrospective conversation for him to be coming off of something where everybody's like, yeah, he's back, as opposed to like, uh, I don't know. So, um, well, let's bring him out. They're all here. No, he's, but that's the thing is he was, a, he was a, a really sweet guy. I'm trying to think where I was going with it. Where, um, so, no, I wasn't that nervous once we got going and I, and I understood the parameters. I, I didn't know, like, where's my camera or any of that shit. I just knew, like, all right, so I got to do that. There, oh, I remember. The reason I get nervous is that I had to go on stage to do this sort of like, all right, everybody chill out, you know, and there's like 300 people extras there. Yeah. So that was the only part that made me nervous. The same part that makes me nervous or used to about stand-up is like, wait, I got to go on stage in front of 300 people with, with a microphone and they're all going to be expecting something out of me and he, we were just riffing that stuff. That made me nervous because I was like, well, what the fuck, what am I going to say? You know, in my mind, I'm saying that. But then I had to figure out how do they talk in 1970, whatever it was. So like I had to come up with like, everyone be cool. And I thought like, that was a really good choice, man. Really good choice. Be cool. It is. Uh, that's timeless. Um... <laughs> So that, that made me nervous, was, was, was functioning, because everyone was sort of milling around, and I had to be that guy. Like, I had to, he gave me the space to do that. Like, I had to really sort of be aware that I was the promoter, and this was my thing. Yeah. So I walked around through the environment doing that. So I did actually do that. Right. I didn't give the guy a backstory or anything, but I, I tried to be aware that, like, I'm the dude in charge of this event. Right. And uh, do you want to ask a question? Sure. Okay. Uh, I read that Noah Taylor was one of those kind of guys that was really deep in character, and that now yeah. you can never trust the internet. But I read something about like him hitting you accidentally or mooning you or something like that. Oh, they, he did, they did a moon one. 
Yeah, that was a take. A, yeah, they did a take where there was a guitar breaking one. They, he kept doing different stuff, like like let's surprise the angry Jew. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know what was going to happen. Like you know, we did one take, and then you know they'd be talking, and then they he'd come. It was where he comes off of the bus again. Yeah. Like, you know, for the second thing, yes. that was the, the sort of riffing take. So there was one where a guitar was broken, and then there was one where they're driving off and he stuck his ass out there. Uh, yeah, he probably did pop me, you know, once. I don't, I don't know if it's captured, but... I didn't see it, but yeah. I read about it. I guess he was really in character. I haven't seen that guy in a while, but um, and I, I didn't really know him, but he, he was pretty amped up when I watch it. It was like, you know, he was yeah. definitely amped up. So what was the deal with Lock the Gates, and why did you decide to make that kind of the trademark intro to your podcast? Uh, that, well, that's a good question. That, that sound montage, like, you know, I, I'm not sure how that occurred, but, like, I don't... Do you know whose idea it was, Brendan? Yeah, you? Oh, it was Brendan's, <laughs> my, my producer. I think you just who, claimed that right now. <laughs> he put, why? It's better he claims it than me make up a story. Like, yeah, I was sitting around. Wait, can we and talk looking about- at my career, and I thought that'd be good. Then I'd get off stage, and Brendan would be like, "You didn't do that." <laughs> can we really quickly talk about what we were talking about backstage? How he was reminding you that you'd been to a Bruce Springsteen concert that you had no recollection of. <laughs> the only time you'd seen Springsteen. <laughs> Don't underestimate my self-involvement. <laughs> we were doing morning radio. It was a Friday night. It was a political event show. And I'd probably been up since 2.30 in the morning. Apparently, we took a train to Philadelphia. And yeah, we got off the train, and I interviewed uh, a member of REM. What's his name? Mike Mills? Mike Mills. Mike yeah. Mills backstage before the show, which I didn't remember, but I kind of remember because like, he didn't talk to me very long. He didn't seem like he wanted to talk to me, and he was the only member of REM we could talk to. <laughs> I remember that much, but the concert just gone. But you know, when you do morning radio, you're in a, a constant state of exhaustion. Because well, what time would you be getting up? Like 2.30, 3 o'clock, because it wasn't just sort of like, let's pop on and be funny. We had to crunch the news. I had to learn, learn a lot of things I didn't know and act like I knew them. Um, I had to, you know, be on top of stuff. And I used to, I used to get like, you know, a giant Dunkin' Donuts coffee or two yeah. on the way to the studio to be on the air at six. So I'd get two of those and I'd get a bag of M&Ms. And I would just jack Every myself. day? Yeah. I would just jack myself into mania. That's like what Letterman used to do. Before I got on do. the mic, huh? That's what Letterman used to do, too. He would unwrap a bunch of chocolates, stack them in a tower, and then eat them. Right. So it's, it's professional. And <laughs> it's obviously the right thing to do. He did pretty well for himself, <laughs> that guy. Yeah. But I was so, like, manic and crazy and jammed. Uh, and also anxious, and like I think it was a PTSD thing. A- any event that happened outside of the show, which I barely remember, you're almost in a dream state. Yeah, because sure. you're running on four hours of sleep. You can't have a normal life. You walk around feeling like you're in a, like a pillow fight. Right. You know, like when you've just been hit by a bunch of soft things and everything's sort of <laughs> muted. Yeah, exactly. So, like, in my defense, that's, that's why I spaced out the Bruce Springsteen concert. It was, you know, it was him and R.E.M. And, like, maybe by the time, you know, with R.E.M. at that point in my life, I right. would have gotten through half of that and been like, eh, okay. And then, um, like, I remember these songs. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then Bruce came on and he did a couple songs. And I'm like, all right. And then I might have been sleeping with my eyes open. Yeah. Completely possible. <laughs> You prepared a lot for that Air America show. How much preparation do you do for WTF these days? Um, for what, the interviews? Yeah. Well, I, I freak out. I still freak out. So do I a little bit. I, I tend to over-prepare, and then it, I throw it all away. Yeah, it I, well, I don't... 
I don't, uh, I don't over-prepare. What I do is I, I pace. Like, like, I know I have a guest coming. Sometimes I'm surprised by guests because, I don't know, maybe I am having a mental problem, but I, I can't seem to look at the calendar. Like, I, like I'm literally some days I wake up and I look, and, or, or Brendan emails me, and he's like, you know, Roger Waters is coming over today. I'm like, oh, fuck, is that today? So, Jeez, that then, made me so nervous right now. But I seem, I must like that shit. Like, for, like, sometimes with musicians, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I'll just, like, I'll get a sense of where they are or where they're from. With musicians, it's different because a lot of times when you interview a musician, you know, I know the Pink Floyd records. I know the ones that made a difference in my life. Yeah. But there's nine other ones. Or someone like Elvis Costello comes over. Oh, I like those two records. Oh, there's 90. You know, like... <laughs> right? Or Neil Young comes over. It's like, I have those four records. What? There's 100 records. So, a lot of times, I will sit there... And this, has, this will have no bearing on the conversation. But I will listen to their music, all of it. I'll put it in the car, and I'll run through as much of their catalog as I can, as opposed to prepare questions. Like, that's somehow going to take me through. But it does. It clearly does. Well, it does, I'm just interested in them, and I don't know, like, you know, it didn't matter with Neil Young, because I got in there, and all I'm thinking, I just want to start a conversation. I don't care about questions. If, if, if a conversation happens, then you're in that, just like we're doing, and it'll go. Thank God. Right? All right. Were you really scared that I wouldn't fucking talk? <laughs> so, you, you were no, nervous yeah, about this one? This is the last one you got to be nervous about. In, in about five minutes, you're going to be like, that was bullshit. I didn't say anything. <laughs> but you learn to be gracious, right? Some guys are just going to talk, and you're not going to... Even... I would have it this way any day of the week, to tell you the <laughs> truth. I'm lying on a bed. <laughs> but like, for instance, with Neil, here's an example of how I prepare. Oh, I shut bought, up. I bought a... <laughs> All right. No, no, please. Please, I was, I was sleep insulting. Yeah. You're not going to do it? What? Oh, come on. <laughs> I took of course I'm going to do it. So, <laughs> I just recently paid too much money for a used guitar amp, and it's an amp that I know Neil uses. It's like a, like a 58 or a 59 Fender Deluxe amp, and that's oh. how, like, if you turn this thing up, it sounds exactly like Neil Young. That's the, that is what the amp like is for. Like classic era Neil Young? Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and it's like someone described it as, you know, that amp's a one-trick pony, but it's a good trick. So I bought this amp, and I like looking at it. I like playing through it. But I thought in my head, like, I'm just going to start with gear with Neil because, like, he'll lock in. We're both guitar players, and that'll we'll just take off. So we walk into the garage, and remind me to tell you what happened in the house, because I, I lucked out with him, because he, he doesn't give a shit about doing interviews, and he actually is notorious for making it difficult, which I didn't really know. But we get into the garage, and I sit down, and I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's a 58 Fender Deluxe. Uh, you use one of those, right? And he goes, nah, I don't know what amps I have. Oh. <laughs> he knew, though. There's no way that fucking guy didn't know. Why do people do that? Why would he do that? Because he wants to make me work. Oh, wow. So, so that's how he entertains himself. Like, you know, if I was an asshole, I could sit here and go like, yeah. 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 I was in that movie, but I'm not going to tell you about it. Well, he, it was like, it was, I look at it as a challenge, because in my mind, we're, you know, I'm going to do an hour. I don't care what happens. 
we're, we, you know, unless it's really going nowhere, we're going to sit there for an hour. So that didn't work. And then, like, and then he started making fun of me, and then he started doing math on my nicotine lozenges. You know, like, how many of those do you eat a day? How many are in a cart? And then he started getting lively about nicotine lozenges. And, and then, like, I see he's sort of lighting up, and that, like, what he wants to do is just fuck around, and that we're not going to talk really about the, the music or anything. I'm just going to do this, whatever he yeah. wants. Whatever the tone is, I'll follow him. And then, like, he talked about going to Pilates. And that, see, the thing... <laughs> But that is the best thing that could happen because when you're dealing with someone like Neil Young and you do what I do, you know, you're going to have at least a, there are a small percentage of people, but there's always people that I'm concerned about, the back of the room, the, the Neil nerds, the people that know everything about somebody. Like I had Maynard from Tool on and I never listened to a Tool record. I missed that. I, I, my adolescence was much later. There's no way I'm going back to Tool. So... <laughs> But, like, the truth is, is that, like, when Maynard was on, he spent 20, 25 minutes talking about parrots and, and talking about how when he worked at a pet, stu- a pet store or a pet food store that he changed the way pet food was marketed by arranging the cans in a certain way. And I'm like, this is the best Maynard interview there's going to be. <laughs> I know what you mean about the Neil nerds. Like, try doing an episode on the movie Star Wars and imagine the feedback you get on the minutiae. No way! I woke up to a text message this morning that my car back at home had had its window smashed, and I'm sure it was just a random burglary, but my first thought is it's an angry Star Wars nerd because I got a fact wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and then you, like, there's eyewitnesses who saw him in one of those outfits, the yeah. stormtrooper yeah. outfits. Yeah. Well, let's not talk but about they, that. But the thing about... The thing about Neil was that, like, because he got candid and because he... There, no one would have known that Neil Young does Pilates, and... And then, like, somebody picked up on it. That's the funny thing about information that happens in podcasts is that some place that, you know, a Pilates studio immediately took the quote and put a picture of Neil on and put it on their website. You know, like, I like to do Pilates, Neil Young. And I'm like, I'm not sure he anticipated that, but it's... uh, I I can imagine they do classes set to Harvest Moon. (laughs) But the weird thing is with Neil, I I just sort of lucked out. You know, there's, uh, you know, because he is, you know, he's a genius, and he's, he's almost like uh, a savant-like guy. Yeah. And he has his own frequency. And, um, and like, he walked into my house. I, he was promoting the Pono player, which is the, the full digital oh, right. His, spectrum. Like, right, it's like an iPod, but it's MP3 got the full thing, bandwidth. Yeah. It sounds great, but they sent me the Pono, and they sent me the earphones to go with it so I could try it out and listen to his new record, which I did. And then, you know, he comes over. I'm supposed to give it back. What, you That's, can't keep it? No. Um, they, they're like they're gonna pick it up. So Neil comes to the house with his like seventy-something-year-old posse, the, the manager that's been with him for a hundred years, and the other guy with gray hair. And they all walk in. And I got a I got a little house, and I got you know records around, and I had a couple guitars out. And Neil walks in, and he sees my Gibson three thirty-five, and he just and only two guys have done this. He he immediately goes to the guitar. He goes into my living room. They just walked in. The other two guys are like, what? And he's on my couch playing the guitar. Oh. Neil Young, you know, without the amp. He's like, this is a good guitar. And I'm like, yeah, just got it. And I showed him some records. And then, uh, and then we're about to go to the garage. And I go, like, here's the, I boxed up the Pono and the headphones. You can take them. And Neil's like, nah, let him keep them. I like them. And I'm like, yeah. Oh. So, <laughs> so then we go in the garage. And, and, now, and then he stonewalled me. And I'm like, I thought you liked me. You know, like. <laughs> But ultimately what happened was, you know, he went on to, uh, like, we got some interesting, you know, feedback. Like, it was a good conversation, but it was, it was just loose and it went all over the place. He did end up talking about 
um, you know, that trans record, which it was a, a troubling record for some people because it was all electronic. Uh-huh. And uh, it's sort of outside the catalog. And, you know, he went on to talk about how his son is severely autistic and he was trying to figure out a way to communicate with him with that record. And so, and we talked about the death of the guys in the band that, you know, has been talked about before. But in the moments, the one thing I learned about interviewing is like there's a lot of information out there about people from one source or another. And it's available, but no one's sitting around going, like, you know, I better read up on Neil Young before he does Marin. So. <laughs> So it's out there, but it doesn't matter. And ultimately, if they tell you in a way or they did, you know, it doesn't matter what's out there. Yeah. It's about the conversation and, and how it's framed and what new stuff comes up. So it ended up being a really kind of a, a, a lovely interview. And we'd, I'd heard from somebody who was working in production with Dan Rather, who was going to do an interview with Neil at, at the house in Malibu. And, and apparently he had come from, from my house. And, uh, and he said to Dan Rather, like, I just did a great interview. And, and Dan Rather said, why was it great? And, uh, and he said, well, he, the, the guy was fearless. And, uh, it, you know, it wasn't about, it wasn't really an interview. It was just like a, a good conversation. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, fuck you, Rather. You know, I, 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 <laughs> Do you think that, that was his way of uh, fucking with Rather? Like the way he didn't recognize your amp? God, I hope so. <laughs> no, I like Dan Rather. I, you know, it's just I'm, you know, full of hubris because I'm so successful. <laughs> What's it like? Your interviews have... Oh, the uh, other guy that picked up the guitar was James Taylor. Oh, Jesus. You should have followed up. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. Yeah. Okay, well, that's all the time we have for today. <laughs> um, you have, like, a broad spe- spectrum of these guests from literally the president of the United States, the sitting president of the United States, to a comic like Gallagher who gets up and walks out in the interview. Yeah. I mean, how do you... How, how did you react when he left? For some reason... Gallagher? I'm, yeah, I'm more... Or the president? <laughs> Gallagher. I, I wish I'm... the president had left like Gallagher, because that would have been the greatest podcast ever. <laughs> oh, come on, Obama. <laughs> what, how did I react when Gallagher left? Yeah, it, was, like, it was early on. But and I mean, it was were, a... you, were you like, ah, oh, damn, or... That's all right. If, if, well, if no, I know exactly be... what happened. Like, you, you hear, I, I, did, I said it on mic, you know, like, I didn't really want to interview him that much. <laughs> because, but, but this is the lesson I had to learn about show business, about my own taste, and about, you, you know, about, you know, understanding that, that, that what I like may not be what everyone likes or whatever. The, the bottom line was I was in Portland. I was in a hotel room. I was doing shows up there. And somehow or another, his manager knew that I was in town and I was doing a podcast and he was there for whatever reason. And they pitched him. They said, you know, he's here. Do you want to do it? And I'm like, because ah. I'd heard that he was being, you know, insensitive and, and doing shitty old racist jokes and homophobic jokes and whatever. And, uh, you know, so I thought, like, oh, I guess I could talk to him about that. And what, and then, but then I thought about it more. Like, this guy, he's got, like, nine, ten-hour specials. Like, he was not nothing. Right. Like, there's a lot of kids, maybe people in here who, when you were eight, was like, that's a guy with the hammer. You know, so. You're talking to one. Right. Yeah. My brother liked him, but so he wasn't anything. And he did start at the comedy store, and he was part of that crew, and he knew all of them. So I'm like, well, if I can put him into the context of the history of modern comedy, which he is, I'll have this conversation, but also, you know, ask him about why he says bad shit about gay people. Um, and, and then what happened, what he came over, it was kind of, you know, 
look, I've been doing comedy a long time. I know these road dudes. I, I know what's up. You know, I, 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 there's, there's very little I haven't seen, but he's just like, he had no idea who, who I was or that I was a comic or anything. And he shows up at the hotel. He says, come downstairs. I want to show you something. I'm like, all right. So I go meet him in the lobby. He's like, I'm going to show you how to get free coffee. What? And uh, yeah, so he says, what you do is, if you're at a hotel, you look around to see if there's an event. And then you just take coffee. So we, um, <laughs> so we're walking around. Sure enough, there's an event like this in a ballroom, and there's a coffee thing out there. And he's like, "Just yeah, I just take it, you know." Like, and I'm like, "Wow, I'm gonna make note of this lesson." So this guy's a real Ferris Bueller. Yeah. So then we go upstairs and we're doing it. And wait, what? I didn't think it would happen either. <laughs> but, you know, I figured, like, now, if, if I'm not going to try it once, at this age, it might not happen. And, I and might then well he proceeded make it. to make gay jokes? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that, that mine was definitely a pro-gay joke right there. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so we start the conversation, and I'm just interjecting, and then he got offended because he's a guy that knows everything, and it was ridiculous. Like, he, he was like, I don't like these comedians who get on stage with a water. What? You know, like, this is from the guy that gets on stage with every type of fruit you can right. imagine. But he uses it in his act. The water is just sort of like, a, like oh. you know, that's unprofessional or notebooks or whatever. Which, I mean, you know, you go either way on that. But he just had this idea of what comedy is and what it should be and how it should be done. And, you know, I thought it was a little narrow. And I was trying to be polite. And then it was like... Um, the, the best line in there, I don't remember, I'm paraphrasing it. It's like, you can't play a state fair like that. And in my mind, I'm like, who the fuck would want to play a state fair? But that's what that guy does, you know. And I'll bet you could. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. But then we got into the other stuff, and, and then I just I kept pushing back on him a little bit, and then he just got aggravated and decided I was trying to sandbag him. And uh, he just like, I'm done. And he walked out, and I'm like, you really going? And then I said, you know, oh, come on, Gallagher. And then people were like, you got to put that on a T-shirt. And I, you know, I knew that he went after his brother for doing his act. I don't want to you know, yeah. get sued by Gallagher for having Gallagher T-shirts. But, but there was a moment there where I'm like, I said on mic, I said, well, I'm certainly not going to go after him. And I, and I wasn't. But then I was sitting there, and I, you know, I called Brendan. I'm like, I, I don't know what I have here, but it's not a full interview. <laughs> but I think we should probably put it up, and I should contextualize it because... Maybe I was wrong. You know, maybe, like, it didn't make me look good. It was not, I was not that gracious, and I definitely was pushing his buttons. And, uh, but there, really the choice was, like, I didn't have to put that up. No one would be the wiser. It wasn't like he was going to make a stink about it. And no one knew I did it. But we decided to put it up. And, I, and it wasn't because I felt like we got Gallagher in this awkward position. I felt, like, embarrassed about it. But I thought it was important that we put it up. It was great. It's a great episode. Um, today's National Cat Day. Is it? it well, it, we were talking about this earlier. It does feel like every month there's yeah, a national... Yeah, it felt like it just happened. Yeah. It's like on Twitter. You, I guess I, you can't believe anything. It's I national. did see it trending on Twitter. That's I all right. Didn't, didn't even look for it. Yeah, I, I've, been, yeah I've been dealing with some heavy cat shit uh, recently. The last couple of days have been rough with What's the cat. What's going on? I got this kitten. I didn't want it, but I got it. Like, it showed up, and I, I didn't know, uh, you, you know, it showed up at my house, and, and I didn't, uh, like, I, I have a lot of cats around. Yeah. 
And I, you know, and I got home from a gig, and I got these two old cats. They're 12 years old, LaFonda and Monkey, and they're enjoying their retirement. <laughs> you know, we, we're all getting old together and just sort of like looking at each other like, yep, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then like, the, like I get home from a gig, and I hear like out on my front porch, like, meow, and I'm like, oh, what is that? And I... I open, you know, I open the, the curtain, and it's like 11.30, 12 at night, and there's this little teeny black kitten just sitting on my front porch, and, like, there's coyotes and shit up there. I don't know where it came from. There was no pregnant cats around. I don't know where it came from. And my first reaction, which was, I think, inappropriate for when you see a kitten, was like, ah, fuck. <laughs> it's like a, a son you never knew you had shows right. up at the door. Exactly. Like, now I got to fucking love you now? <laughs> Which is how most of my relationships start. <laughs> but, you know, I took it in. And my retired cats were not, this was not part of their retirement. Right. You know, they're like, they're like well, why? Why? Because now there's this, like, crazy kitten just what? terrorizing them constantly. What'd you name the cat? Buster Kitten. Oh, But my old cats are literally acting like grandparents whose like, daughter got strung out on drugs and now they got to take care of her kid. Like, <laughs> they're, 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 they're being nice about it, but yeah. they'd rather not yeah. have to do it. Yeah. But that wasn't the problem. They, both my old cats got sick. I, brought, I was struggling whether or not to get Buster's balls cut off because I was, you know, like I was projecting, you know. <laughs> Like, I wouldn't want that. What's it going to do to him? Like, he's not, you know, he's, you know. But the, my other male cats, I had it done to him. But for some reason, I was balking on the bawling. And um, so I finally took him in. But, like, the day before I took him in, my, my cat LaFonda was not eating and acting weird. And I'm like, what the fuck? And th- these are not cats you can get into a cage. Because the two cats that I own outside, there's a feral one outside I feed that's deaf, deaf black cat who's been coming around for seven years, and he's like, the miracle cat. How do you survive yeah. with coyotes and shit? This cat can't hear shit. That's crazy. It's, and he's been coming around forever, and people are like, how do you know he's deaf? I'm like, what kind of question is that? You know, like, I, well, but it's, people have asked me over and over again. Like, I saw him eating, you know, outside, and I went out, and I'm like, hey, nothing. That's how I knew. And I'm like, hey, and then I finally got really close to it, and it looked up and went, what? It fucking bolted. And that, and that remains our relationship. Seven years in, same shit. But I feed him. And I'm, like, when he goes away, I'm like, well, I guess that's it. And he'll, sometimes he'll go away for two or three weeks, and he'll come back, and I'm like, you're not even a real cat. You're a magic thing. So, but Monkey and LaFonda were feral. I got them at four, four or five months. Like, you know, Brendan knew me back then. I was on Air America, and... Uh, we were staying up all night, you know, doing the fucking thing. It was like literally the night before the Republican National Convention, which we were going to have to go cover. And there were all these feral kittens eating out of the garbage behind my apartment in Astoria. There was five of them eating garbage. And, you know, you see that. You know, I'm putting my garbage out, and I'm like, ugh, someone's going to have to deal with this. You know? And then another night I see him like, oh, why doesn't someone? And then it comes down to like, I guess I'm going to be the one. So... I don't know anything about feral, not feral. You know, I know I could use a pet. So I trap four of them in shoe boxes <laughs> with food. In one shoe bring... box or several no, like shoe I boxes? No, like I had to go several trips. Okay. 
and my neighbor Jody helped me out. But I got four of them into my apartment, not knowing what this... feral meant. Oh. Like, I, you know, I just wanted friends. Literally wild fucking animals into my house. Two of them, like, wedged themselves behind the stove. And the one that became monkey, he tried to, he wedged himself between the screen and a window pane, trying to get out. Wait, you got four of the five? Yeah. And then Fonda, like, she's crazy and remains crazy, and I know why, because when I caught her, she, she came into the house and got stuck on a glue trap. This is a wild kitten that I can't touch, and I'm, like, freaking out, and she's flopping around on this glue trap. Oh. And I gotta, I gotta pull her off it, and she rips my hands up, and she's fine, but that was her Vietnam. That, <laughs> that, that fucked her for life. Not on top of just being feral, she's like, you know, she's like. But the th- we eventually, I started talking about it on the radio, and cat ladies got involved. You know, I had a, a woman came over with cages. You need to separate them, and. You know, so like at some point, my house was like a, almost like a veterinary clinic. I had two cages. I had two of them in, in one cage, and then we were inoculating cats. And then we, we caught the other kitten and the mother, got them all fixed. And then two of I found someone to take one, and one of them I gave to the deli guys across the street. Wait, so they wh- could, what? No, to, they needed a mouser. Oh, okay. That's crazy. This exact same thing happened to me. I went out in my backyard, and there were five newborn kittens in a row, and I went, uh, same reaction, like, I can't deal with this. Yeah. And I, I had to run an errand, and I'm sure their mother's around. When I come back, they'll be fine. I come back, they're still in a row. Yeah. So then I go, all right, I got to do this. And I go to catch them, and I get three. And it goes from me feeling uh, angry at the responsibility to, where are my babies? And the, <laughs> the two would crawl under my house. I had to get coveralls uh. on. And I found them good homes. Um, but well, they weren't wild, though. Like, the, the black one I just got, he was just on the cusp. Oh. Like another couple of weeks, it would have been because once they start eating on their own and stuff, you can't pull the like, yeah. I'm your mommy, right? You know, so I nurse these guys with a syringe, right? Yeah, that's good because not like a they're... needle syringe, but right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm shooting them up with tar. <laughs> they're really chill cats, really chill cats. They do get a little fidgety in the morning if I don't give them <laughs> their tar, but um, but the wild thing is real, so the like because it took like a decade. For these two, because I eventually, like, I traveled with them and to get them in a cage. I tell a story about, it's crazy. You you might, we we should get back to the movies, but it's your show. But, um. There's no more important topic. But, so I have Monkey and LaFonda, and they're from that litter. And I've moved them to L.A. And I've actually taken Monkey back to New York with me when I was working on a second Air America job and back. So these are my guys, but they're still twitchy. Like a domestic cat, like this new cat, Buster, if I do this on the floor, Buster will just be like, what? Yeah. But my cats will be like, ah. you know, like, so they're, they're wired that way yeah. always. But anyway, so Fonda was sick, so I bring her in when I brought Buster in. And then I'm like, I'm not in a good place with vets right now. And, and uh, like, you know, no, the cat doesn't need rust proofing. You, you know, like, it's like. <laughs> I know, they, they want to upsell you on everything. Dude. Yeah. What the fuck is I don't that? Know. It's predatory. Can I recommend you my vet with the worst name ever? Petsadina. <laughs> I've been going to the same vet. I might, but I've been going to this guy for years, and I don't know why I keep going, because, like, you're, you got, you're walking in, like, how, what kind of person, you know, I'm walking in with a sick animal, and this guy's going, like, <laughs> you know, like, but, but, like, he did a good job, but there's just a, a, a drop-off. 
and maybe I'm being like, I, I think really it's on you, the pet owner, to be like, no, I, I don't think we need to go that route. Because yeah. he knows my cats well enough to where if they have cancer or something, I can't give them medicine. Right. Because it, it's just not possible. Yeah. I can barely get them in. Like, I bring these cats to the vet, and they have to gas them just to look at them because they're like, no, no. Like, monkey, every time, will shit in the fucking cage. Like, right when I put him in, it's like, and I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> Happened on an airplane, no matter what. Oh. So... What, what but, like, I brought him in, and he had shit in the cage, and I cleaned it out, and I put it in a paper towel, and the doctor walked in. I'm like, I got a stool sample if you're going to need a <laughs> stool sample. <laughs> Beat you. So Fonda turns out, like, I, they did a, like, they did an x-ray. He showed me an x-ray saying she's got bronchial this, bronchial that. And I'm like, all right, her white blood cell count was up. Okay, she got bronchial infection. But then he's like, but you see this? That might be congestive heart failure. And I'm like, oh, what? God. And I'm looking at the x-ray. I'm like, What? And he's like, then he shows me, I'll show you what a normal x-ray looks like. And he showed me a normal x-ray. I'm like, is this the same? And, um, <laughs> but then he, I did an ectocardiogram, you know, and, and, but it turns out she doesn't have the heart thing. Oh, good. And, and she had bronchitis. But, but then he's like, but she's had a lot of weight loss. And I don't know. Like, it's just, like, it just grim, grim, grim. So then I get her home, and then Monkey's sick. Monkey's under <sighs> the bed, and he's not eating. So I got to bring him in. Same shit. You know, they gas him to, to look at him, and then, like, you know, he's like, I don't know, he's dehydrated, he's losing weight or whatever. But they're old, they're old, they're 12, they're going to lose yeah. weight. And sometimes they, you know, I just overreact, and then he's like, like I had him take an x-ray, he's like, the liver, you know, looks large, and my girlfriend picked him up this morning. And I'm like, will you look at the fucking x-ray? Because I, I, I don't want to do, put him through a biopsy and shit, I can't medicate him. And then it's like, and it wasn't cancer, it's just the liver looked larger, and we're just like, all right, so he's got a big liver, how are they doing? Like, so, well, what this know. is maybe heading to is... Uh, I mentioned to this earlier that they're okay though. They're good. This is, will you put up a picture of my cat, Tim? There's Margo. Oh, uh, look at that thing. One more. Yeah. I don't know how these pictures got here. This is. Uh, <laughs> let's see that next one. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> look how wide she is. But um, Mark and I were once guests on a podcast that never happened called Cat Talk, hosted by Michael Showalter. And uh, I feel like I want you... Let's take it from him and do a Cat Talk podcast. I, I don't... Like, like, I'm not ready to be that out. <laughs> what? You are the poster boy for this. Well, you're out. But, but I'm still reluctant. Like, you know, like, for me to admit that, like, I, like, like, because I felt it in my own heart. Like, you know, no. it's like when I got, because, like, no, with me, no, it's sort of like. No, this is your Stonewall riot. Come out. <laughs> well, well, what happens with me is sort of like, well, I got to accept that they're getting old and that they're going to get sick and that, you know, I'm oh, probably yeah. going to have to put them down at some point. Oh, that's not a good And, time. like, I try to sort of just sort of like, no, oh, they're animals. You know, yeah. I love them, but, you know, they don't last forever and, you know. But then, like, I get Fonda home, and I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and, I, and I'm sitting there sleeping with her. I'm like, you okay? You okay? You yeah. know, and I'm like, and I got to live with that. I know. I know. That's why I'm saying I, I understand what you're going through. Yeah. But I can stuff that down. We'll and... see. <laughs> you, you look totally relaxed right now. <laughs> Mark... I want to thank you immensely for uh, doing this with me and talking We're done. to me. We're done. Yeah. Can I just say one thing? Yeah. The 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 great thing about about Cameron Crowe and about oh, I forgot about that. That's right. <laughs> is that like he's a, like he went out of his way. Like I had one little scene in that movie, and when we were on set, that guy who and I was just an unknown comic. Um, he ate he like when we ate dinner that night. 
you know, the, I was only there for a couple of days. You know, he sat with me and my wife, like the director oh, of the movie. Yeah. And had dinner with us. That's very nice. But then, like, but I want to, this is the better part. Like, and I thought that was amazing. And then what happened was, you know, the scene where I'm chasing the bus? When they shot that was like, like, I'm about to do that part. And it's at night and everyone's leaving. And Cameron comes up to me and goes, oh, yeah, we're, the second crew is going to shoot that. And I'm like, what does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. Everyone goes home but me and one camera crew. So when we're shooting that, it's just me. There was no one there. The cast was gone. It was the middle of the night. And it's just me going up and down that ramp. <laughs> like alone. <laughs> so I think Cameron was sort of setting the table for me to really understand how movie making worked. But he gave me that part in Roadies and, and that, you know, he's, he's a really sweet guy. And I really didn't mean to throw him under the bus because, you know, he has made some great movies. He definitely has. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark Marin. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for having yeah. me. Yeah, thank you so much. You can, actually, you can leave. You're welcome to stay. I'm going to bring someone up here for the last couple of minutes that uh, will have something to say about you because... Um, <laughs> no, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. You can listen, whatever you want. Okay. So uh, to wrap this up, I want to talk to someone just briefly who was a friend of mine from college, but I have not seen him in 20 years. And then out of the blue, he contacts me. I went on to do podcasting. He became a published author. And he uh, wrote this series of detective novels that take place in and around Long Beach, hard-boiled detective fiction. But the protagonist is a rabid podcast listener. So he listens to WTF. And he listens to I Was There Too. And um, even the epigraph of the book is lyrics from the theme song to I Was There Too that then factor in thematically throughout the novel. And I just want to ask a couple questions and we'll give away a couple of the books. Ladies and gentlemen, Tyler Diltz. Hi, Tyler. <laughs> Have a seat. Uh, before we even start... Can we throw up that last picture? This is how long it's been since I've seen Tyler. That's Tyler as Lenny in Of Mice and Men and me as the bad guy, Curly. And that would be after a scene where he crushes my hand, which is filled with Vaseline in that glove. Like the, That's the character that did that, not me. Which, if I'm not mistaken, in the very first episode of I Was There Too, you mentioned playing Curly. That's right, yeah. And my first thought was, oh my God, I was there too. That's <laughs> And then that, that was like, okay, I'm in, I'm in for the duration on this podcast. That's so great. What made you decide to give your, your hero, Danny Beckett, uh, a love for podcasts? Was it just because you loved them? Or? I, I, largely because I love them. Um, and for a long time, I was in denial about the fact that Danny Beckett is just kind of an alter ego of mine. Yeah. It wasn't until, you know, my wife pointed it out to me about three books into the series. She's like, you know, he's just you, right? <laughs> And I'm like, no, he's a tough cop, a homicide investigator, hard-boiled. She's like, no, he's just you. Um, uh, so I, I, that's something that I actually did because I, like the character, have had insomnia. And for years, I just listened to NPR yeah. overnight, like soft. So like when I couldn't sleep, I would listen to it. But then I started uh, 
started listening to podcasts. Uh-huh. And it was actually uh, WTF was the first, uh, the first po- that was my gateway podcast. Yeah, that's the real gateway <laughs> podcast. None of this serial shit. <laughs> yeah, but then so I just basically started doing the same thing that the character winds up doing in the book, which is when I can't sleep, listen to podcasts. That's so great. Now, we went to um, school together at the Yale of the West Coast, Cal State Long Beach. <laughs> Which is honest to God what the chair of the department would call it, with no irony. <laughs> we were in the theater department. And uh, he was later fired for um, plagiarizing a Calvin and Hobbes comic strip in one of his plays. No joke. <laughs> he was run off to China. <laughs> Howard Berman. Well, I named him by name. That's okay. Podcasts aren't global. Um, so... This detective goes all throughout Long Beach, which is where I lived for 20 years, and it's so great to read a book where someone goes to the places that you know and you've eaten. And you know me, I love like James Bond and Ian Fleming novels, and it kind of reminds me of that, but Bond goes to these most you know, amazing restaurants, and he's just going to Modica's Deli in Long Beach, and it's, <laughs> it's really familiar and fun, and especially well, the, the podcast part. The coolest thing about that is, uh, you know, I, when I wrote the first one, I never thought anybody was going to be reading it. And the, the first edition that came out was from a very small press, did like a thousand copies, and was like, okay, that's, that's it. That's not going to be a big deal. Um, and then it actually started getting a little bit of traction. We got picked up by a bigger publisher. But I was still basically doing it the same way that I'd been doing it before, which is, okay, I'm going to put all my favorite restaurants in here. I'm going to put all my favorite Long Beach stuff in here. And uh, eventually they, they started to get a little bit of traction and more and more people started reading them. And I knew that I had finally made it when uh, Danny Beckett's favorite Mexican restaurant also happens to be my favorite me- Mexican restaurant. And I went in there one night, and they gave me and my wife free food. Was this Lola's? Uh, this is actually Enrique's, which okay. comes before Lola's. Okay, yeah. Um, that, that's his kind of his first Mexican okay, right. relationship. That's right, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but uh, uh, I was like, oh, man, this is the <laughs> coolest thing that's ever happened. Um, so, of course, I started then putting more and more restaurants that I like in the book. Yeah. Um, that's a, and podcasts. It's a, I mean, yes. he probably listens to seven or eight podcasts in here. Hey, you never know. It's great. Well, we're going to... Uh, we're going to give a copy away, and I'm going to ask you a trivia question right now. Just raise your hand if you can name the um, film that the tag from this episode's theme song was from. That pl- Yeah, right there. Inside out. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not correct. <laughs> Anybody? Yes. Uh, that's it! <laughs> I can't give you my copy, but we have one over here. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Tyler Diltz. Um, I want to give a huge thanks to Mark Marin for joining me. Also to the Now Hear This Festival, this has been incredibly fun. Chris Bannon, Chris Hartnett, and all of Midroll. James Bladen, who helps me out with the music for this show. And you guys, thank you so much for coming. Have a great day, everybody. I'm John Lennon, and I'm simply having a wonderful Christmas time with all my new Earwolf merch. Just look at what Earwolf added to their store this year. Make your friends jealous, guys, with the brand new Earwolf activity book. Go on a magical mystery tour in your Hello from the Magic Tavern t-shirt. Shake it up, baby, with the longest, shortest time baby onesie. 
and there's gear from Comedy Bang Bang, How Did This Get Made, and so much more. Imagine all the deals. Go to store.earwolf.com today and use the promo code HOHO to get 15% off your purchase if you order by December 10th. Pick up a great gift for the podcast fan in your life this holiday season. Drums. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.